we can be easily distracted. And so, in a busy and at times noisy world, we lean into the gentle words of a savior who spoke about coming to and abiding in his deep kind of love. In a city that is buzzing with life and art and culture, but that seems to be still searching for this kind of love, we get to tell our stories of being lost, of being found in all kinds of creative ways, different people, similar themes, same goal, to celebrate being pursued by the one who has not forgotten us, who is alive and in love with us. This is who we are. We are Journey Church Tampa, a collective of believers who have been richly impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by stories of faith. So we invite you, come celebrate the one who knows our stories and yours too, and still wants to be a part of it. You are listening to Journey Church Tampa Podcast. Good morning. Well, good evening. You know, the whole time I'm walking up here, I'm like, say, say good evening, say good evening. Good morning. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Um, Lord, you are so good. Um, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for uh, just everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you will continue to do. Uh, Father, we pray that you would just um, move mightily this evening, Father God, that um, we would just be good soil for your word this evening, Father God. Um, Lord, we just pray that you would just use this broken man uh, to just declare your goodness, declare your words. Father, we love you. We thank you. Um, Lord, we pray over those uh, that weren't able to make it because they may have been traveling. Father God, we just pray um, just safe travels. Um, so Father, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys could be seated. How's everyone doing tonight? Okay. All right. That works. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Joey Onidi. Um, my wife, Brandy, she was the one that uh, read the scripture. Uh, we actually lead our youth ministry over at Eastside. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's fun to be over here with you guys tonight. I don't get to come out here often. So it's uh, a real treat. So um, Merry Christmas. I uh, hope everyone had a, a beautiful holiday, a restful holiday, a joyous holiday. Um, we're now in the Christmas tide season. Um, and we can continue to celebrate uh, this, this night and every night that the light of the world has come and he's going to come back. And so, um, man, I'm just so grateful for that. So uh, let's dive in here. I um, was actually surprised at the response I got this morning when I asked this question. Um, so I'm going to ask it again tonight. Um, but is anyone here just a sucker for Mark Wahlberg films like I am? Okay. All right. All right, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, so <laughs> I actually got to watch a movie recently called Instant Family. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you guys have seen that, but it's a really sweet movie, uh, a movie about adoption. And um, tonight I'm actually going to talk about you know, what it looks like as far as the fact that we are adopted to the king, um, the fact that we are, we are his, that we are prized, that we have a purpose, um, but how at the same time we often disqualify ourselves. And so as I was watching this movie a couple weeks back, I just, uh, it was really cool. The, the actual like, storyline is, is based on a real-life family, uh, actually the director of the movie. It's based on his family. Um, so it's a pretty personal account of, of what happened when they adopted three kids. Um, but what happens is you, know, you have the, the two uh, main characters, Mark Wahlberg and his wife. They uh, decide they're going to adopt a kid. Um, they go to the training. They learn about it, and then 
they end up deciding they're going to adopt a whole family. Um, but when they're at this like you know adoption fair and they're going out and they're uh, meeting kids, they see uh, this group of teenagers and they walk over, and uh, this teenage girl immediately just like starts to disqualify them. She's like, "No, you don't want me. Um, we're just a teenager. You're going to want some young kid." And so she she fights him on it. Um, but what they say is, "We're going to adopt you anyway." And so they adopted, they adopted this family of three kids. They, you know, you, they, they you know, come into the house for the first uh, you know, little bit, and everything's, everything's great. Um, but then in a matter of minutes, like everything's just getting destroyed. People are fighting. Um, the little girl that you thought was so sweet is just like she's a terror. Um, and so everything in you is like, oh, man, they're, they're not going to go through with it. But they did. They stuck with them. Um, even in you know, all of the, the, just the, the headache that was caused, all of the, the worst possible things that could have happened, even with the oldest daughter fighting them, they stuck with them. And they said, no, we're going to stick with you. We're going to love you, and we're going to love you well. So I thought, man, like, this is like, we kind of do this with God. You know, we know that we are adopted. Like, we know um, that, that he has brought us into his family. But oftentimes, we try to fight it. We try to fight this, this, this love that he has for us. We try to disqualify ourselves, even though he's told us, hey, I love you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, I, I care for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you all of this. And you don't, like, you don't need to earn anything. It's been freely given to you. And so, so we fight it a lot. And, um, you know, I just started thinking about this scripture and how, you know, we, we, in, the, in our scripture tonight, we actually have um, the beginning part is, is essentially what, how God sees us. And the last part is what our purpose is. And so um, I'm going to run through these first couple things. Realistically, we could spend weeks upon weeks in this little scripture. Um, but we're going to kind of zoom through it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed through it. If you guys want to keep up, um, take notes. Um, we'll run through this thing here. So um, our scripture says that we are chosen. Right? It says you are a chosen race. Even our best attempts to, to fight this and to thwart this, God's grace abounds all the more. Even in our best attempts to disqualify ourselves, God, his grace abounds even more. Scripture tells us that before the creation of the world, that we are predestined into adoption. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So we've been predestined to adoption. In our scripture, it says that we are a royal priesthood. Now, I want to give you guys a little bit of context because if we just leave it at that, um, you may just think, okay, all right, that's interesting, cool, let's move on. Um, but the, what we have to think of is the audience that this, this scripture, this letter was written to. Um, and it was written to people that were primarily Jewish. And the thing is, is during this time, royalty and priesthood, they were two separate things. They were, they were constantly divided. They would not intertwine with one another. But our scripture says that we are a royal priesthood. We see these, the, the, the combining of these two. Um, and why is that? It's because the high priest has come. Jesus Christ has come. And so that way we can be reconciled to the Father, that we could have a relationship with the Father, and that we would have access that in this time only priests would have access to, that we would ha be able to do the things that at the time only royalty would be able to do. And he meshed it all together. So we are united with God. We have relationship with the Father 
um, we have the ability to go directly to God. Because again, at this time, priests were the only people that were allowed to intercede on behalf of other people. They were the only ones that were allowed to go into the holy places. Hebrews 10 says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So through his sacrifice, we have the confidence and the boldness to be able to stand and to walk into the throne room, to go to our father and say, Lord, I am going to intercede on behalf of my brother, my sister, um, that we have the confidence to be able to go to him and repent. We have the confidence to be able to go to him and just share our hearts um, because his son Jesus was allowed us into that. And just as kings at this time, they would go and they would fight battles. They would put on their armor. They would go into war. We wage war against the flesh. We wage war against the enemy. So we have this power, this access. We are a holy nation. Holy in this this scripture uh, comes from the word hagios, which means set apart. So we are called to be set apart. We are called to look different. We're called to act different. But the thing is, is we live in contested space. We are constantly at war with a culture that is vying for our attention. Um, no matter what we do, there's something trying to tug us away. No matter what we do, there's something always trying to take our eyes and distract us from the Father. But we're called to stand out. We're called to look different. We're called to praise him through that. Because we want to display his goodness and his holiness. I love this quote. I don't know who it comes from, so this isn't from me. But it says, the body of Christ, the church, is of most value to God when it is least like the world in which it exists to be an ambassador of reconciliation. So when we thrive the most is when we are set apart. When we thrive the most is when we look the most different. Um, And so I love that. But the thing is, our culture, like, it's so embedded into us that we want to we wanna buy a certain thing so we could fit in or that we can, you know, do this or that so we can be accepted. But the thing is, you know, our scripture is saying we're set apart. We are people for his possession. We are prized. We are prized possession. We have a purpose. And we are called to bring him praise. So I just ran through that real quick. Um, but we have four truths that I've just gone over. And the four are that you are chosen, you are capable, you are his, and you are set apart. So I'm just going to ask you guys a real question right now. And you, you don't have to answer it loud. But if you're a believer and you believe in the inerrancy of, of Scripture, meaning that Scripture is fully true, that there is nothing false in Scripture, if you believe that scripture is God-breathed, that everything that is in this is directly from God, why do we so often operate outside of these truths? That's good. So I'm going to use this example. I used it this morning. Um, this isn't mine either, but I was at a conference for work a couple weeks back. Um, and they, were, they were doing like a seminar on customer service, and they were you know, talking about how you, you want to you want to make sure that you avoid friction points with the customer, so you want to be proactive. And so you have these touch points where you call them and you check up on them, and, but you, don't want, you want to avoid the friction points. And so, um, you know, so they were going through and they were talking about these friction points, but here's our friction point when we're talking about this, is we have our culture and our kingdom, and they rub. Yeah. You have the culture and the kingdom of God which rub against each other. Since we're kids, since we were babies, we have longed for acceptance. You know, um, we want our acceptance from our parents, acceptance from our friends. 
Um, we want to make sure that we sit at the right lunch table at school. Um, you know, you don't want to get picked last in, you know, the game at recess. So, um, you know, did you get into college? What school did you go to? Um, what job do you have? How much money do you make? You know, do you drive this car? Do you have a house? Are you married yet? Do you have kids yet? Um, you know, all these different things that our, our culture is constantly telling us, if we don't do this, we've, we've, we've missed the mark. If we haven't done this, that we've dropped the ball. So what happens is before we can even, you know, do anything, we have disqualified ourselves because we haven't checked off this box. And it's this never-ending checklist, and it's this never-ending just pressure on us to try to be accepted, to try to, to, to do what we can to fit in. And whether you know it or not, your, your longing to be accepted um, probably goes into almost every decision that you make. You know, when you go to the store, the clothes you buy, the type of car you drive, um, you know, all these different things, the things you post on Instagram. You know, people don't post their ugliness on Instagram. You know, you only post the good stuff. So it's just longing to constantly be accepted. And I'm going to call this tonight our, um, the, the fact that we disqualify ourselves and we haven't been there. We're going to call that our Ziba mentality. And so um, I, I'm, I'm going to read from a different scripture. It's going to be 2 Samuel 9. Um, this is probably my favorite scripture because um, there's just so much beauty in it. Um, just shows the heart of our Father. Um, and, you know, we're going to look at a, a third character in this, in this story tonight, a third person in this story tonight. Um, you know, typically we hear this story, and it's the story of David and um, um, Mephibosheth. And, but we don't really talk about the other people that are in this. Um, so I feel like our, our culture is kind of ingrained into us, this, this Ziba mentality. Um, and Ziba is the third person that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of context before we jump into this scripture. Um, because uh, about 15 years or so prior to this scripture that we have um, in 2 Samuel 9, uh, we see that King David's life is about to change in a drastic way. He's currently serving under Saul, King Saul. Um, he's starting to see that Saul's starting to like kind of um, get a little angry with him. He's getting a little jealous of him. Uh, and so David goes to Saul's son, Jonathan, and says, hey, listen, um, what have I done? Like, is your dad, like, what's going on here? Jonathan's like, ah, I don't think there's anything wrong, but I'll, I'm going to spend some time with him, and I'm going to let you know um, what's going on. So essentially, uh, David is catching on to the fact that King Saul is getting a little jealous of him. And so this rage and this anger starting to come out. We saw the fits where um, you know, King Saul throws a spear at David. And so Jonathan goes, talks to his father, um, finds out that essentially Saul's trying to kill David. Um, Jonathan tells David, David runs. Um, but Jonathan and David makes, make, make this covenant. Um, and they say, listen, for as long as I shall live, um, nothing will ever come between us and our descendants. I will honor your descendants. So again, this is about 15 years later, um, and David is now king. Um, and he's been king for probably about seven years at this point. And so um, it says, And David said, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul, that I may show kindness to him for the Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. The Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. 
Now, the person they're talking about that's crippled is uh, uh, Mephibosheth. And what strikes me is that, you know, there's a number of reasons why Ziba may have responded in this manner. You know, David asks, is there someone still left of Saul's family that I could show kindness to? He said, yeah, there's the son of Jonathan, and he's crippled in both of his feet. It's almost like in that instance, Ziba was trying to disqualify Jonathan. And so we, we don't know what the motive was. You know, maybe Ziba thought that as soon as he, he said this to David, um, he would say, oh, well, actually, never mind. You know, if he's, he's of no use to me. He's crippled? Well, I, I, I never mind. Let's, let's change that. Or maybe he thought, you know, he was trying to reassure King David that, hey, maybe this is someone that really isn't a threat to your throne. He's crippled in, your, in both of his feet. Or maybe it was that he was, you know, trying to let him know, hey, he's crippled. By the way, um, you know, it doesn't really look right. You know, crippled, people that are crippled aren't allowed in the presence of the king. And during, during this time, culturally, those were all acceptable reasons to have, have, have included that. But the thing is, is here's, here's a little friction point, is that Ziba wasn't talking to a normal king. The king that he was talking to was trying to show kindness to Jonathan's son. The king that he was talking to was different than most kings of that time. Because what was standard in that time was that the king, whoever takes over, he's going to wipe out anyone remaining in that other king's family. Because he doesn't want anyone to be a threat to his throne. But David says, no, I want to show kindness to someone. And I love David's response. He says, where is he? He doesn't say, oh, now that you mentioned that, um, I guess show me where he's at. Or now that you say that, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what he has to offer. He just says, where is he? Where is he? And what a beautiful depiction of the love of our Father. That even through our shortcomings, our iniquities, our failures, all of that, that the Father still seeks us out. The Father still invites us to the table. And so, in the rest of the scripture, we see uh, King David he says, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amuel and Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Maker, the son of Amuel at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, said, uh, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, I am your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you show regard for a dead dog such as I? So even in that moment, Mephibosheth was sort of disqualifying himself. Why are you mindful of me? We've, we've heard that scripture a lot. Who is a man that you are mindful of him? This is similar context here. And how often do we, despite knowing the truths that we talked about earlier, take this, this approach of disqualifying ourselves from doing the work that the Lord's called us to? I know it says that we're a royal priesthood, but I just can't pray for this person because I, I, I'm, I've got too much stuff going on. 
or I'm not a pastor, so I can't share the good news of Jesus with people. Or I've got too much gunk to be chosen or accepted by God. And the problem is, is that's another friction point, is that we've been so ingrained with this idea that we have to meet a certain standard that we immediately start to disqualify ourselves. We allow the insecurities of our shortcomings and our failures and all of that um, to be in the spotlight rather than the one who covered it all, which is Jesus. We focus on our our problems and our our issues, um, but we, we take that light away from the problem solver. And so just as Mephibosheth did absolutely nothing to earn his place at the table, we have, earned, we have done absolutely nothing to earn our place. So we'll see the rest of our scripture. It says, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul, to his, all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, shall bring in the produce, that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. What I love about this scripture is that we see this beautiful display of King David's grace and kindness over Mephibosheth. He got to eat at the table with him like royalty. And just as God has called us a royal priesthood, he says, you are royalty. You are royalty. You're set apart. You're royalty. And while we have been crippled by our sin, and while we do have everyone in this room, um, we all have our, our shortcomings. We all have our failures. We're all going to sin. So let me just take that pressure off of you now. Okay? So we're all going to have those things that happen. But it doesn't cancel out the fact that we are chosen, that we are accepted, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are his, and that we are set apart. So no matter what we do to try to disqualify ourselves, none of that stuff matters. No matter how often we try to be like Ziba in this and say, oh, well, he's crippled in both of his feet. Lord, I, I, I can't do that because I've got this going on or that going on. God says, I've called you. I've chosen you. Our past has no bearing on this. The amount of likes that we get on our little Instagram posts has nothing to do with this, has no bearing on this. Nor does the number of friends we have on our Facebook account, um, your salary, your job, the type of car you drive, where you live, uh, if you own a house, if you're married, if you have kids, none of that stuff has any bearing on these truths. So I feel like the Lord's telling us it's time to shed this, this skin that's been put on us, this Ziba skin, um, because the Lord's called us to do stuff. The Lord's called us to be a royal priesthood. He's called us to stand out. Because here's the thing, is when we operate in this identity, whose identity becomes known? His. When we operate in an identity that we are chosen, 
that we are a royal priesthood, that we're set apart, his identity becomes known. Isn't, isn't that the reason we exist? That's our, that's our purpose, is that we come and bring glory to the king. That we, when, when culture and the kingdom intersect, like in our song earlier, we say, I won't bow to those things anymore. I won't bow to the things of the world. I'm not going to bow to that. I'm going to bow to my king. So our scripture, as we close out, I'm going to invite the, the worship team up. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. We've longed for acceptance. We've been accepted. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And we will receive it for the rest of our life. And his grace will abound for the rest of our lives as we're sitting at the king's table. I love this quote by Spurgeon. It says, a true Christian is a God-made man, a twice-born man, and he's a partaker of the divine nature. He's a mass of marbles, for he is dead, and yet he is alive. For he is one who lives here, and yet his life has gone away up yonder. He is one who is a citizen of earth, and yet his citizenship is in heaven. He is a true man, but he is more than a man. For God has lifted him up above the level of other men, given him a life which others do not possess, revealed to him secrets which others do not know, and prepared for him a place into which the ungodly can never enter. The longer he looks at himself, the more he wonders at God's grace and at what God's grace has done, is doing, and will yet to do. So as we start to grasp these truths, as we start to shed this skin, we will all the more see the wonder and the glory of God and that we will all the more stand out and that we will all the more be bold in proclaiming that we are a royal priesthood, that we are chosen, that we have a purpose and that is to proclaim the goodness of God.